the Bain Free Radio Hour. On the podcast, lights, cameras, infection, and extraction. GoFundMe, a zombie crisis solution. Plus, we continue with the complete audiobook serialization of Alliance of Equals by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. All right now. Welcome to the Bain Free Radio Hour podcast. It's an honor to have you along. I'm Bain Senior Editor, Senior Editor Tony Daniel. And I'm Assistant Editor Christopher Rocchio. Senior means you're over 50. This time we have a discussion with Richard Rosenthal, Mike Lerman, and Brett Lynch. They are producers of a new effort to create a television series based on John Ringo's Black Tide Rising science-based zombie series. That's uh, books like um, Under a Graveyard Sky by John Ringo, and um, the series continues, by the way, and it has this new great anthology out last year, uh, Black Tide Rising, that was called. The Black Tide Rising team is running a GoFundMe campaign to create an initial episode for a perspective series that's based on the, uh, the books. So if you love John Ringo and would like to see one of his books in living, rotting, machine gun splattered color, check out the plan of the Black Tide Rising folks. They are a serious group. Um, they've had some real experience in motion pictures. So give them a listen and onward and upward with the arts, we say. And, of course, we continue with the complete audiobook serialization of Leiden Universe novel Alliance of Equals by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. Now, here's the news. Holy Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go. David Drake's latest entry in the Republic of Cinnabar Navy series Death Sprite Day is out as a mass-market paperback in August. Captain Daniel Leary thinks that his marriage will allow him to slip into the quiet role of a naval officer in peacetime. His friend, the spy and psy librarian Adele Mundy, is content to be collating data in her library. But high officials of both superpowers are involved. Those who want Daniel and Adele to get caught up in the Tarbell Stars claim that only they can prevent a war between the Republic of Cinnabar and its great rival, the Alliance of Free Stars. The conflict is political, but at the sharp end it means blazing warfare and cold-blooded murder. And, of course, Daniel and Adele will be at the sharp end. Death Sprite Day by David Drake is now at booksellers everywhere in mass market. want to welcome Richard Rosenthal, Mike Lerman, and Brett Lynch to the podcast. Hey, guys. So, um, you are all involved in a project uh, having to do with Black Tide Rising, turning it into a media project of some sort, perhaps even television. Um, maybe, I, I don't know a huge amount about this, uh, about the project, and, and I believe what you're trying to do also is do a uh, group funding to, uh, to get it off the ground. Um, I know what I do know is that main publisher Tony Weiskopf is behind you, which means it's probably a really good idea, and you're probably really good folks to do it with because uh, she doesn't make such evaluations um, lightly. So um, tell us, uh, maybe uh, okay. go ahead, uh, Richard. You want to just sort of uh, 
say in general what this is, and then uh, and then all of you guys can tell us who you are and how you got involved with this. project started out oh, more than a year and a half ago when Mike and I went up to Chattanooga for Chattacon, and we met with Tony at that time, uh, and we told her what our interests were, and we were looking for a, a project that we could do off of one of the authors, one of the main authors, and she uh, suggested that uh, she was going to send us a set of uh, books to look at. Uh, she said she thought this would be a really good what we were looking to do. And so she sent us down the uh, four-volume Black Tide Rising set, uh, which I received and started to read through. Now these are, uh, in case anybody's unfamiliar, these are John Ringo's Black Tide Rising series, beginning with um, Under a Graveyard Sky. Um which are, uh, well, you can go ahead and describe them. So, you know, what you have in the Black Tide Rising series, the universe as John has said it, is uh, an apocalypse has taken place. So you have a pandemic outbreak that has impacted uh, a good 98% of the population on the planet, either killing them or turning them into zombies. And... The, the story is set with that as the background as to what's going on. Um, and it was just a very interesting read for me. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it in a little while as, as to what happened when I started reading it. Um, I know you asked us to uh, uh, talk about what we were doing with this. Um, moving forward, Mike and I went back up to LibertyCon uh, uh, last year, 2016, and I got a chance for the first time to meet uh, Ringo and sit down uh, and, and talk with him about what we were going to be doing, and um, he sort of liked what we were talking about. We met him again at Dragon Con uh, in 2016, a few months later here in Atlanta, and then we continued conversations with him, building on how we saw uh, handling this and turning it into uh, some sort of media project. Um, we looked at doing it as a film because of the way the story would get told. Um, uh, one film, it would just be way too long or you'd have to cut too much out of the story to make it work in 90 minutes to uh, two hours. Uh, the other way, we can make it work for sure, and especially with the amount of um, story there is in the four volumes. Uh, plus, we also have the rights to the anthology of the short stories. So a combination of those five books put together, we have an awful lot of material that we can use to do what's called episodic TV. We, we certainly have enough to do at least three to five years worth of a, a TV show and, and get it done that way. So that's where we've been. And that's what we're working on right now. And you're right. You, you brought up, uh, we wanted, we want to do a proof of concept, uh, for the project. And that's what the crowdfunding campaign, uh, is that's running right now. And people can get to that by going to blacktidevising.com. It'll take them to the, 
crowdfunding page. There are also some social media pages um, on Facebook um, and on Twitter and Instagram where we're putting uh, posts up on a very regular basis to keep everybody informed of what we're doing. And so folks can go look for those uh, social media points to stay up to date on what we're doing. Cool. Well, we'll we'll definitely uh, circle back to that before we're we're over and and uh, send people that way. Um, so tell us uh, before we get into the project. Maybe um, I understand that you, one thing is that you're all uh, armed forces uh, veterans, um, and you're all in media. Uh, what what are your backgrounds? My background is I'm former Navy. I'm from the Vietnam era, so I was in the Navy from 66 until 1970. And the training that I got in the Navy uh, sort of headed me off onto an uh, almost 40-year career, a lot of which was project management type work because I was an, uh, an entrepreneur, as I still am, and had software companies and consulting companies which revolved around helping uh, corporations use uh, computers and things of that nature better within their companies. And so there was always a lot of project management work that was going on, which fits the role of the producer that um, I basically performed. Uh, uh, let me hand it off to Mike and let him talk. All right. Uh, yeah, you know, also being a veteran, I was an Air Force guy. I was in from 2005 to 2009. Uh, did one active duty deployment to Iraq while I, while I was in. Uh, after that, I spent about another year and a half doing uh, contract work for the government overseas in Iraq, uh, very similar to what I did in the service. Uh, got out of the service and you know, finished that type of work up. And I thought that I was coming home to go to law school. Uh, sort of looked at the job market there and re-examined that idea, and it just so happened right around that same time, I wound up introducing a friend of our family here who had a TV show idea that he wanted to try to do something with to an actor a lot of your listeners may be familiar with, named Nick Searcy, from Justified 112263. Yeah, Nick Searcy, great actor, yeah. You know, great character. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, great, great character actor and great actor all around, and I had just kind of randomly become acquainted with Nick over Facebook before that, and just kind of on a whim one day, I, I mentioned this to Nick, and he got in touch with me and got in touch with our mutual friend there, and he liked the idea enough to to come out and and shoot footage for about a week and a half and, and put something together, and I just kind of fell into helping out with that, and I liked it, and they liked what I did. And I just started looking at what was going on in the industry in the Southeast and in Atlanta in particular, and I, you know, just thought, hey, what the heck? Let's you know, let's give it a shot and see what happens. And that sort of led into me doing some uh, doing some advocacy within the state of Georgia for getting veterans more involved in this booming film and television industry that's building up here. Uh, you know, made uh, quite a few trips around the state, talking to different people, talking to lawmakers and industry people, and. Uh, different nonprofit folks, and that's actually where I wound up meeting Richard and Brett for the first time. Uh, Richard and I, you know, discovered that we were very like-minded on a lot of these things, and that we wanted to, uh, you know, we, we sort of wanted to pursue, pursue some of the same things. And I met Brett pretty close to right around that same time, and it was just, it was just kind of a situation where we were all three sort of looking to do similar types of things, and you know, wanting to 
sort of capitalize on the entrepreneurial spirit and just take advantage of what's coming to Georgia and what the you know what the industry has to offer, and that just kind of leads us to where we're at right now. And Brett, uh... yeah, yeah, hello, um, yeah, I was uh, I was in the Navy as well, um, so we've got two Navy, one Air Force, uh, and uh, so Richard and my folks usually outbeat uh, Mike's all the time. No. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, there. but um, no, I was in the Navy. Um, I was involved in special war, naval special warfare. I was a Navy SEAL. Um, I was in the Navy for over 10 years until I had a uh, parachute accident, had three major shoulder surgeries, and it was time to uh, go find something else to do. So um, I was in San Diego at that time. So I moved up to L.A. and um, got involved with film and television there, which for me was uh, outside of doing, you know, actual contracting work overseas and stuff. Um, it's a good, uh, I guess, helps ease the itchy trigger finger when I can play uh, SWAT and, and military char- characters on television and film. So I started acting in front of uh, the camera, and I must have worked on, geez, at least in L.A., about every film and television show that there is that's out there that has to do with SWAT and, uh, and military. And... Uh, so I did that and uh, um, ended up moving out here to Georgia. Uh, my wife and I had a kid, and uh, we moved out to Georgia to just uh, find a little bit better life for, I would say, mainly for the kid, you know, for family life. Um, and Georgia was my also choice because of film and television, and I could, I could basically maintain working in the industry, and I wouldn't have to give it up. Um, in order to, you know, raise my family. So that's what I did. I came out, and like Mike said, we met. We had, uh, you know, lots of, uh, we wanted to do something together. And uh, then Mike introduced me to Richard, who was a great, great uh, added member to our team. And um, with myself, having gone to film school and with emphasis in directing, that's what basically I do and I want to do, and I love it. Oh, yeah. Where did, where did you go to film school? Richard and Mike. Uh, Columbia College. Cool. Uh, yeah. It's, uh, I mean, it, it was good. It was, uh, it was a lot easier than I would say SEAL training was. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but nonetheless. Uh, but do they, don't, they, do they teach you how to make black gra- backgrounds look blurry in SEAL training, really, Brett? What do you call that? Depth of field, something like that. Yeah. Right, that's right. That could that could wipe. Eh, never mind. All right. So why Atlanta? What's what's going on? Or Georgia? What's going on in Georgia that has brought you all of your creative firm out of you three guys there? Well, the, well Georgia has. Uh, television. Good, Mike. Oh, I was just gonna say. Uh, <clears throat> Georgia has become number three in the world globally for film and television production. <clears throat> we have uh, we have Pinewood Studios just south of Atlanta. A whole lot of the Marvel Universe movies are being shot there. Lots of other big feature films and television shows are being shot in Georgia and you know a lot in and around Atlanta as well. And Georgia really has developed 
this uh, this really good environment for producers and for filmmakers to come down to their projects. Uh, they have they have a very attractive tax incentive. I won't get too much into the nuts and bolts of that because it'll just get boring for everyone. But it uh, you know it, it's got a lot of diverse terrain. It's you know the, the Atlanta airport has nonstop flights to all the places where folks from New York and LA would want to come into and out of as they're doing their thing, and it just really works on a whole lot of levels for a lot of different reasons. Well, cool. Um, so what does Black Tide Rising in particular? Uh, all right. So, and Richard particularly said something to me in an email that was that was interesting in this regard. Um, he'd already he, you'd been involved with some zombie stuff and you're like oh no not another zombie thing but uh what what was it that woke you up to the idea that this was this was pretty cool john's little uh story well, you know what i had been doing for about eight years working with my film friends that are here in georgia who are in the industry uh was doing that we were doing you know they're horror type folks so they like doing you know, zombies, vampires, slasher, whatever. And I had just, after eight years of that, I wanted to take a break and do something else. And so when Mike said, well, look, well, you know, we'll go up to Chattanooga, we'll go to this uh, Chattacon thing, we'll meet with uh, Tony Weisskopf, and we'll talk with her, and let's see what she's got. And so we did, and, and we spent uh, uh, some time and had a meeting or two with her, and as I was saying before, um, she said, well, I'm going to send you these books to read, and bear in mind, at that point in time, she didn't say who the, who the, the books really were. I mean, she mentioned John Ringo's name, and I have to be honest with you, I didn't know who John Ringo was. So the books show up, and I start reading uh, under a graveyard to die, and I went, oh, crap, this is another zombie story. And it was like, this is not what I want to be doing. And, you know, like producers are supposed to do, I just kept reading. And I, I got the gist of what Ringo was doing, uh, at least in the first book, and I, I continued reading, you know, to get his story development and plot line and everything else of of, you know, what happens to the Smith family, and it's a coming-of-age story. So as the, as the movie line goes from The Godfather, you know, just when I thought I was out, Ringo pulled me back in and made me a believer that, well, you know, Black Tide Rising would be something to make into a media-type project and that it would be something that would work really well as the actual... Uh, story that it is and after that uh, both Mike and I and Brett had spent uh, quite a bit of time either in person with John or on the, the phone talking with him to make sure that uh, as we're developing the, the project ideas of how we want to bring the story forward we stay true to obviously the story because there are a lot of things that a writer does when they're writing for the page that's quite a bit different than when you're going to be writing for something that's going to be on a screen and the we want to make sure that the readers who are his fans 
basically will be glad to see what we did. It wouldn't be like uh, they would be looking at it and going, well, that didn't really match my imagination of what I saw in my mind when I was reading the books. Mm. And it's, it, it's, it's a very interesting process to work with uh, Flingo, uh, anybody that's met him at any of the cons or uh, had a chance to listen to him. Uh, it would be an understatement to say he's a very interesting fellow. So <laughs> our time spent together is always very enjoyable. And we we always come away with uh, uh, something that we've gotten worked out and uh, been able to uh, say, okay, yeah, this will work uh, as, as part of this media project that we're working on right now. One of the things that, that struck me, the most about the books and what I like the most about the books is that it goes away a little bit from the zombies uh, and gets into the rebuilding of civilization or, or sustaining uh, civilization and the, and the, and the character development of the kids who have to, of the, uh, of the family that sort of the first family that um, is, is reorganizing humanity. Um, does this, did that also strike you guys um, as something that was really fun, would be fun to explore in a, in a visual sense, a dramatic sense? Well, I, I really did. From uh, my perspective, yeah, from my perspective right. as a director, um, I really enjoy this because there's a lot of, uh, I feel a close connection to that whole family, you know, Faith's family as she's uh, going to do this. And it might just be, I think just there's a correlation between my military upbringing and kind of what she's going through. You know, she wasn't necessarily raised military, but kind of in a sense, you know, through her relatives and stuff, she, she kind of was, you know, mm -hmm. was being prepared to go. You're, you're talking about Faith, one of the daughters, Faith and Sophia, right? The, yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um, me moving around every four years of my life, you know, I had to, um, you know, uh, be, get familiar with, uh, you know, living in, in a new place and, and family and meeting new friends and, and, uh, scoping out areas and, and then getting into military and doing what I did, uh, you know, Navy SEALs and stuff. My, um, my background now I think is, is, is great for taking faith and her family and um, really just kind of getting into the character and using, you know, she's not a Navy SEAL. So her, her sense of, uh, of, um, uh, skill sets and, and weaponry and what she's going to do is a little different, but there's still that sense of, of, uh, nervousness, fear on the edge, you know, uh, feelings that you have to get when you get into, uh, you know, going to, they attack these infected. So there's a lot that I feel that me being the director on this project is really going to bring out a lot um, in the in the character, especially of faith. Yeah. Well, that's so. That's your expertise that you're bringing to it, or some of the expertise you're bringing to it. What about um, uh, what about everyone else, Mike and uh, Richard? What 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 makes you guys the team? Well, one of, the, one of the things that really struck me when we were having some of these conversations with Tony about the universe, about the characters, and about what really made it different, because, you know, really a common you know, film, TV, Hollywood thing is give me the same thing but different. Mm -hmm. We see Black Tide Rising as being a 
really good example of that because, yeah, it's a zombie apocalypse in a sense, but it's also got that but different in that you've got this family, you've got this intact nuclear family, which is kind of the rarest thing in this apocalyptic world where everything has just gone to hell. And it's, you know, the, the other part of that is how it focuses more on the rebuilding and how they start rallying the rest of humanity to, to get behind this cause. When they themselves first sort of set out to survive and hole up and sort of do what you expect most protagonist characters in this type of genre to do. And they just sort of reach that point where they say, okay, that's not good enough. You know, we have to go above and beyond that. And we have to just sort of start this ball rolling to try to bring humanity back. And, and that's one of the things that really kind of stuck with me. And when, this is when the light bulb went off for me, too, to say, hey, okay, this really is different. It's something special and it's something that's worth pursuing in what we're doing right now. You were asking the question about when I started reading the, the stories uh, and the books, what struck me was exactly how Ringo did start and, and move everything forward, even from the point of view of how the outbreak, outbreak took place. Um, it's one of those kind of things that in most zombie stories, you're basically thrown into the middle, and you don't really know how anything happens. You just know it is what it is, and everybody is having a deal with it. And so there was how it all started, and then as I started to read more and more about um, the father, Steve, or the mother, Stacy, or as you were saying, the two girls, Faith and Sophia, um, I have a 29-year-old daughter, so I could relate to the two girls that way, being a parent. And it was kind of funny because a few weeks ago, for the first time, when, when I had talked to Ringo about this more than a year yeah. ago, I said, you know, who did you model the two girls after? Because usually when you're a writer or you're filming something, uh, writing a story, they always tell you, write what you know about. So he said, well, I modeled it after my two girls, who are basically age-wise when, when he was doing this, and personality-wise, are somewhat similar to Faith and Sophia. And I actually got to meet one of his daughters uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, uh, Jennifer is the equivalent of uh, Sophia. And, yeah, you could just see where the personality was. So it was really nice to see how he could bring these characters to life um, and make them into very real people. And to your point, that was the other thing that I really liked, because I knew he was going somewhere with this story. It wasn't just going to be, you know, Faith basically slugging it out and going through scrum scene after scrum scene with the zombies and just killing people. It, it needed to be more than that. And, and John was there to, to do that in the stories where he does have society fall apart. Also, as part of it, because of the Smith family, um, you can start to see how the mother and father, especially the father, Steve, sees pulling society back together again as they start to meet. Uh, the ragtag crew that eventually winds up becoming what they call Wolf Squadron. And, and I like that whole idea because it was a way of 
wiping the slate clean and being able to start over again. Uh, and, I, and I really did enjoy that and the sense of how uh, uh, Ringo handled it. I, I, I didn't think it was in a very uh, slap dash type of way. He really thought it out quite a bit. He and I have had some extensive conversations about it because uh, he's had some thoughts which he didn't necessarily put into the stories, but just things that he had thought about while he was writing. And so I'm going to keep those things in mind when we get ready to start filming so we can take some of those nuances and, and get them up on the screen. Well, that, that sound, that's going to sound good to the many, uh, many loyal Ringo readers who listen to the podcast. Um, so what, all right, so what's the process here, Brett? What's Brett going to direct? What are you guys going to produce? Uh, how is it going to, how's it going to go? Um, just in, in a, how, how are you going to make it? Let's put it that way. Well, the, the first thing that we need to do is we want to do what we're calling a proof of concept type of uh, piece. Um, this would be for the readers, if you will, this will be the fall and, if you will, what the readers get to learn about uh, they're about uh, later in about the second book where they make the video of the Welcome to Wolf Squadron because they get tired as they're picking up the stragglers of having to keep sitting down and having classroom events of trying to explain to everybody what's happened, what's going on, what's this group of people they're meeting, what are they all about, how does this all work? And so one of the characters they meet is, is this Hollywood producer and uh, uh, Steve Smith uh, says to him, look, you know, you need to work. And here's a job where you can be really helpful to us. You know, you've got some equipment that you can work with that you have, that have on your boat. And he said, I need you to shoot um, this video and edit it together so we have something to show to the people as we pick them up. And I saw that that's the story within a story as being what we really want to do. Why do we want to do this? Well, when I'm talking to distribution people or to uh, investors who will invest in the much bigger project and, and get it onto uh, potentially a Netflix or an Amazon, some sort of an outlet where everybody will be able to see it, we need to have a way of explaining to them what the story is in a pretty condensed way. Well, the Welcome to Wolf Squadron video would be the perfect way of getting that done. And I'm going to kind of hand it off and, and let Brett and Mike talk about that a little bit now. Uh, but that's really where we're going and, and how we see we want to move forward so that we can then secure uh, the money and the distribution that we need so uh, we can move this project forward. Cool. So that welcome to Wolf Squadron is our is our uh, is is what you want to crowdfund. Is that what I what I'm hearing, Mike? And yeah, we we want we want to do. Now it may not look exactly like Welcome to Wolf Squadron as you see in the books, but we want to do something that that sort of captures that essence that both lets the that both lets the existing fans see what we're doing that stays true to Ringo's vision of the book and the spirit of what makes the story so great. But it 
also works in the same way to introduce new audiences and a new segment of the fan base to the world. And it tells them in a relatively short amount of time what's going on and what these characters are doing and how they're acting and how they're working to bring back humanity. Cool. So, um, so how are you going to make it? <laughs> are you going to just call up Nick Cersei and say, come on down? Or what's, what's the... What's, what's so, the... there is, there's an interesting part of that because uh, Tony's made remarks at, in different places before that pretty much anything that gets done somewhere is going to have to have a Nick Cersei character. So Nick and I are going to have to have that conversation at some point. And <laughs> that means that when we're funded, we're going to be getting the checkbook out. and We're going to have to uh, to put some money down for him. But uh, yeah, I would... Uh, you know, Tony's very much a fan of Nick's and uh, you know, Larry Korea, some of the other folks there at Bain, and we oh, yeah. would really love to uh, to find a way to bring him on some sometime. Yeah, sure. Um, so, are you going to have action sequences? Or are you going to do a little character development in this in this short? How how long will our uh, Welcome to Wolf Squadron uh, piece be? Do you think? Um, when we've been talk when I've been talking with Mike and Brett about it, we've been talking about something that'll be give or take in the 20 to about 25 minute range. But why don't I let Brett talk about it some and, and he'll be able to give you an idea as the person who's going to direct this as to how he sees it and, and what he's wanting to do with it. Okay. Well, we definitely have to, uh, um, it's kind of interesting because we have to, compile all the stuff into such a small piece to, you know, present what we want to make the bigger picture in the end. So we have to um, definitely tell the audience what it's going to be about. We've got to, you know, put some backstory of that in there. And uh, as well as definitely have to have, you know, some action, action sequence in there, but not to the extent that it's going to cost us an arm and a leg for, you know, a hundred, you know, zombies to come out and that whole thing. So, but I definitely want to show, you know, the audience about, uh, about Faith and her uh, exceptional skills of handling infected. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, there's going to be some blood and gore, which, which I think ultimately I, I love about this project and the fact that we're not necessarily at this point juncture tied, you know, directly to Hollywood where we can be um, – limited in our capabilities or limited in, in what we want to do. So we can really gore it up and, and uh, you know, give the, the current John Ringo fans what they expect and what they want to see and what they've read in the book. Um, and then hopefully along with that, bring on board some new fans for John Ringo. People have never even heard of it. And, and uh, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, uh, I'm excited about the ability to do it, um, what we're going to um, be doing. But, uh, you know, she's, she's been, uh, after talking to John Rinko, it's funny because, you know, coming from my background, you know, saying, like, what faith is carrying, it's almost like what uh, we're get, we've got a lot of weapons to work with. So um, I've got a few friends from Hollywood as far as fight coordinators that I want to bring out, and I want to set up a really uh, nice scene. And, um of her taking out some infected and that may or may not be on like, 
that may or may not be the visuals that you're watching with uh, spoken word behind talking about, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the storyline, trying to give people some some backdrop to it. Now, Tony told me, I think that you guys have, or that somebody has done some, some makeup tests. Is that true? The... I did some. I did some about. Oh, I did some last fall, and and I I took a different approach. One of the makeup artists that's a friend of mine here in Atlanta, he's worked on a number of uh, the Hollywood type uh, uh, zombie projects, and I told him, I said I need to come down. We need to talk. I want to do a makeup test, and he said, What's it for? I told him zombies. Oh, he said I have some great ideas. So I, I went down to, as he calls it, his laboratory, and uh, um, he pulled his book out where he either had drawings or some photos that he had done. And I said, yeah, this is all great. I said, this is not how, you know, I see the, the infected people being. I said, these people are infected. They're sick. I said, they kind of look like when it starts out, they got the flu. And so we started that way. And I said, I, I also have this other criteria. He said, what's that? I said, when we do the makeup test, we need to do it on a guy that has a beard. And he said, why? I said, you ever watch any zombie movies? Zombies never have beards. They're always clean shaven. <laughs> I said, how does that work? Um, so when we did it, we did it that way and very successfully. And we progressively started out with him just getting infected, so he really did look like he had the flu. And then we progressed along with the makeup test. Uh, 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 and I think we have some of the photos. We've put them up on some of the, the social media sites where people can see them. Um, and we progressed him along and got him to a point where, in the end, he would look like one of the infected that had been around for a while because, you know, they're kind of... Uh, uh, um, battle it out with each other for food source and so a lot of times they're getting banged up and scarred up and they're a bit cut up because they're basically doing harm to each other Uh, it's not so much anything that faith or any of the marines do to them they just bang each other up and so when we got all finished uh, I I sent the, the photos up to Ringo and I said so what do you think about this he said, you know, it's kind of funny. He said, when I was writing the stories, he said, I kind of saw them being this way. He said, but when you're writing for the page, you don't really get into the description of what the people really look like because you can't. You have no way of doing it. It's, it's a visual type mm-hmm. thing. He said, but yeah, he said, this is perfect. He said, this will work great. So yeah, we had done that as a makeup test, and it came out really well. So we'll, we'll think that's what our uh, infected are going to look like. That's cool, and you have some photos, uh, photos up. Um, before, uh, yeah, we got some photos of those up. I have just one sort of hard-hitting uh, journalistic question for you: Is um, a lot of the books? I mean, most of the book, uh, the the series takes place on water, and that seems like a, a, a trouble for a for a TV series or. Um, what uh, what are your thoughts about that? Is it going to be a concern? Many discussions about that. Right, shooting on water is always 
interesting. Um, it's not as bad as what it once was, and I'm going to let Brett talk about that. Um, but shooting on water is shooting on water. You, know, you can green screen a lot of things to solve some of the problems. Brett, why don't you talk about that? Yeah, sorry. Um, yeah, we, uh, we've discussed both, you know, of course, uh, in today's day and age, you know, we, it would seem almost like you were just mentioning there, Tony, that it would almost be, uh, wouldn't be too far-fetched to expect like a, a, a set of 300, you know, and just like all green screened and just the actors in front. Um, we won because of uh, how we're doing this, we necessarily don't have unlimited budget to do that kind of thing. But um, we also, or I would say I definitely realize that, you know, unless you're going to spend an arm and a leg, um, then you're going to, your audience is going to be seen right through that kind of stuff. They're going to see, you know, cheap, cheap visual, um, visual effects is, is exactly that. So, we might do a mix of it. There's going to be definitely, even if we we're shooting on the water, there's probably, you know, some pickup shots, some B-roll, things that we would be doing that is green screened anyways. Um, so right now we're, we probably will do a little of both. Um, for us to get on the water, we've even talked about going down to Savannah, which seems to be the most, um, probably the best choice for us. And uh, because there's a lot of, shooting that goes on down there in Savannah. There's a lot of resources available to us um, down there in Savannah as well, and you've got the waterfront. Um, so I guess to answer that question, it would be definitely a little bit of both, but I don't want it to be just all green screen with, with her in the front. Yeah. Well, cool. Um, it, if you could solve that, then uh, you could, I, it's just got a wonderful uh, – it's got a wonderful foundation for uh, – for, uh, TV series, it seems to me at least. Um, so, how would the uh, how does this? How can we participate? What's the? Uh, do you want all? You're going to get all your money from crowdfunding? Do you want it to be? Uh, and and it's what? Are there any prizes or um, rewards involved in it? Uh, what what's going to be the? Uh, how you have it set up? Machine, you want to handle that? Yeah, we uh, you know, we we have a uh, you know we have a very interactive and participatory crowdfunding campaign. And that's one of the great things of this day and age, where crowdfunding something like this even ten years ago, somebody would just look at you like you just ate a bunch of funny mushrooms. But we've got this great tool available to us now, and that really makes a lot of this stuff a lot more democratic. Um, you know, things that things that sort of nameless, faceless studio or network executives would either green light or throw in the trash can with crowdfunding you you know you give fan bases and you give audiences the opportunity to have a voice in that process and to participate and to allow us to create things like this proof of concept that we're going to that we're going to take out there and, and sell to investors and distributors uh, we do all we you know we have several perks and prizes um, you know, and if you go to blacktiderising.com and you look at the Indiegogo page that we're on, you can see that we've got uh, patches, ball caps, uh, window decals, challenge coins, since we are a very you know, military veteran, active duty, law enforcement, public safety-centered fan base. We've got a lot of those kind of things that, that, that folks are familiar with that they like from their service and from their, uh, you know, from their occupations. 
and we've you know we we brought those into the Black Tide Rising world to uh, you know let you get a Wolf Squadron patch and a Challenge coin, and you know we've got some other cool designs that we'll be rolling out shortly too, that uh, that are centered around Faith and Trixie and the tank and some of those other things like that, and it uh, you know it it just you know, it it gives the fans a way to participate. It gives you some cool little rewards and some swag that you can take home with you for participating. Um, you know, these these items that we're offering here, you know, like the coins in particular, are going to be numbered. They're going to be exclusive to the campaign, different from any future merchandise that will come out down the road. So, you know, we we like to offer those things just as 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 our way of saying thank you for helping us move this project forward and and get it out there so that we can make the kind of television that you guys want to watch. That sounds cool. So the, the, the nexus for all of this is blacktiderising.com. Yes. Yeah. That, that directs you right to the Indiegogo page. Cool. And, um, and go ahead. Oh, real quick. Yeah. I wanted to, uh, Mike didn't mess necessarily answer this directly but um uh, you asked about like uh you know is this our only source of income and it's not we're, we're it's not our only fundraising source for doing black tide rising but it's where we wanted to start you know having talked with john ringo and wanting to keep it close net family if you will keeping it you know all his fans and seeing how far we can go before we even go anywhere else um, you know, with the fan base and get it going. Um, and then, you know, if we need be or we want extra and then move forward from there, yeah, we'll go out to our, um, you know, our other sources for, uh, for funding. Brett's exactly right on that. It's, it's, it's a multi-pronged effort. We're, uh, we're going to use every tool at our disposal, you know, up to and including the kitchen sink to push this thing through and, and get it down the road. And, you know, this is one facet of it, but we do have, we have these other avenues, and these other areas to explore as well. I would suggest, um, uh, giving some red shirt opportunities, uh, and some, to, uh, let some people, um, be infected in your, uh, project just off the top of my head. I would, I would love to do that. that is a reward <laughs> What's that? And we do have that as a reward tier in the uh, oh, yeah? crowdfunding packages. There is a, there is a perk package there where you can come on set when we shoot this thing and you can be an infected and you can, uh, you know, do anything from uh, roam around the corridors of a ship, charge of faith. And, you know, if you're lucky, maybe you even, maybe you even get the CGI bullet to the head or the, uh, the cooper to the head. Whoa. So uh, there are reward tiers just to, I don't want to get too technical about it, but uh, what, what are the levels and how much money do you, do you propose um, fun. And how much input do uh, do you think you could? You were talking about getting actual input from from fans. Yeah, the uh, we we have we have actually designed and shaped several of our reward packages based on fan input. I've actually got a group of super fans, and it's funny enough these were uh, these are folks that work in a district attorney's office that I knew back when I was in law enforcement many years ago, and I actually met them at Liberty Con last year and didn't realize that. They were big Ringo fans, and uh, they actually helped us shape a whole lot of the uh, the packages and kind of what we offered. Uh, we have everything broken out almost almost like you're almost like you're a character in the world. Uh, you know, for your ten dollar level, where we you're getting our thanks and you're getting a sort of a digital newsletter that that kind of takes you behind the scenes of of where we're going as we go forward. That one, you're you know, you're kind of the survivor. You're you know, you 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 made it through the end of the world, but 
you know, every day that you're out there by yourself, you're just kind of out on the edge. And as they go up, then, you know, you're getting to being a wolf squad and recruit where, okay, you know, you're, you're sort of learning the, the lay of the land of this place. You know, you get a clearance team. It's like, okay, you know which, which end of the weapon points towards the enemy. And eventually that gets up to, uh, you know, Wolf Squadron team leaders and your commander, you know, your Steve Smith type, who's the, who's got that big picture vision to, to put the world back right. And, you know, those are, you know, they're, and those, those packages do go up in terms of your contribution. And we wanted to scale those and level those commensurate with the, you know, with the level of support that, that the fans are providing that we really do appreciate and we really do want to show that appreciation and give something back in return for that, both in what's listed in the perks and there's always the potential of little uh, extra secret perks down the road as we have other opportunities to to do more things to, to say thank you to everybody that's supporting yeah. us like this. That sounds extremely cool, especially if you're a Ringo fan, just to, um, to be involved in bringing something like this to fruition, something that you probably played through in your mind a lot if you're reading the books. Like, yeah, how would this really look as a movie? And you guys are are doing it, or at least one version of it. Um, it sounds great. Um, anything else uh, we need to talk about re- regarding the project and uh, and such? I, I, I think you've been great in helping us cover all the different things that we want to do and, and bring to the fan base and uh, make the fan base larger by attracting new folks to uh, uh, this universe that... Uh, John Ringo has created. So thanks for the time this afternoon. I know I greatly appreciate it. Sure. Uh, yeah, same for me. It's, uh... Absolutely. The, the website is blacktiderising.com. And I want to thank, um, want to thank Mike Lerman, uh, Richard Rosenthal, um, and Brett Lynch for uh, being with us to talk about this great Black Tide Rising project to, uh, to bring it to television today. Thank you so much, guys. This is another entry in Alliance of Equals, a Leaden Universe novel by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. Beset by the angry remnants of the Department of the Interior, and challenged at every turn by opportunists on their new homeworld of Sherbleek, and low on funds, Clan Corval desperately needs to reestablish its position as one of the top trading clans in known space. To this end, master trader Sean Yoskalen and Corville's premier trade ship, Dutiful Passage, is on a mission to establish new business associations and to build a strong primary route that links well with existing loops and secondary routes. But re-establishing trade and preserving the lives of the few remaining members of the clan aren't all of Corval's problem. Matters come to a head as Dutiful Passage, accustomed to being welcomed and feeded at those ports on its call list, finds itself denied docking and blacklisting while agents of the DOI mount an armed attacks on others of Corville's traders under the very eyes of port security systems. Traveling with dutiful trader on this unsettling journey is Patty O'Scalen, the master trader's heir and his apprentice. Patty is eager to make up for time lost due to Corville's unpleasantness with the Department of the Interior, but she is also keeping a secret so intense that her coming of age, and perhaps her very life, is threatened by it. And here is the latest entry in Sharon Lee and Steve Miller's Alliance of Equals. Chapter 6 Dutiful Passage 
Andiree approach. They had made good use of their hours together, Sean thought, with a certain satisfaction, as he settled in behind his desk. No doubt it was very wrong of him to wish that they had hours, even days, more ahead of them. Which, of course, you do, he told himself, as he opened his mail queue. Or so one trusts. Viewed correctly, in fact, this small interlude of labor provides an opportunity for you to recruit your strength. Priscilla was on the bridge, as a captain ought to be during breakout. Soon enough, he would himself be on the trade bridge, eager prentice in attendance, and the entire port of Andiri clamoring to do business with them. Or not. Ports were fickle things, and had become more fickle still in these new circumstances in which Corval found itself. But there, one would strive to think happy thoughts. And Thora swore that a positive attitude had the ability to change worlds. Which was a fairly unsettling thought, considering the source. The breakout bell sounded. The passage shifted into normal space with scarcely a quiver. Sean smiled and turned to his screen as it flashed and cleared, gong announcing an incoming emergency report. It was a preliminary report, very brief, with a promise of details to follow. Pale Wing, one of Corval's first-line ships, in fact, the ship on which Paddy had served as cabin boy had been fired upon on approach to a port where she was well-known and previously welcomed. Sean drew a hard breath, his stomach clenching, reaching for the calm even as it buzzed. He touched a key. Yes, Priscilla, I have it, he said. The detailed report just hit, she said forwarded to all pilots and reserve pilots, meeting at 1500 hours in the second level conference room. I'll be there, he said, turning back to his screen and the detailed report. Hazenthal leaned against the counter where Tolly had been and closed her eyes the better to think. It was true that she was the least of the small troop which had come under the command of hero captain Miri Robertson, who had vanquished the 14th Conquest Corps. Though she had received several so-called therapy sessions from Lady Anthora Yosgallan, who had the ability to reach inside heart and mind and make such adjustments as were deemed necessary. Despite this, she, an explorer, had not progressed nearly so well as even Diglon Rifle. Diglon had embraced their new circumstances with enthusiasm and set himself to learn everything, while she found comfort only in her work cycle at the port in the simple duties of a guard, as if she were nothing more than a rifle herself. Comfort in routine, and then, when Commander Lizardi had paired her in duty with Tolly Jones, something more than comfort. Something that she had not felt since before the Elder had fallen. Comradeship. 
Tolly Jones had deserted his post, and she, she had followed after him to ensure that he came safe to his next destination. She had chosen, chosen her partner over the troop. She had chosen her partner over her service to the captain, if it came to that, though she had not expected to find herself. The door to the galley whisked open, Hazenthal straightened, hand rising in a salute to the pilot's honor, and hesitated a damning instant before completing the strike to her shoulder. The pilot was small, seemingly fragile, perfectly clean and white. Perhaps she glowed somewhat. Or, thought Hazenthal, perhaps it was merely that she was so very white that she seemed to glow in the galley's low lighting. Certainly, she floated a little distance above the deck, wafting forward under some noiseless compulsion. Good waking to you, Hazenthal Explorer. The voice was mellow and female. She spoke Terran with a light, lilting accent. I am Tokol Lorlan, pilot. Allow me to welcome you aboard Terrigan and to thank you for your care of my co-pilot. You are welcome, Hazenthal said, which was an important civilian phrase. There was a pause. The screen at the apex of the pilot's body tilted slightly upward, and Hazenthal saw the shadow of a woman's face. Perhaps I distress you, Hazenthal Explorer. Speak frankly, please. Hazenthal drew a breath. Pilot, not distress, surprise. Is it permitted to inquire into your nature? Certainly. I am an autonomous intelligence, a full individual person. Hazenthal nodded. Such persons lived as she had learned, a perilous existence, pursued by mercenary hunters should they reveal themselves, whereupon they would be stripped of their personhood and either enslaved or killed. Jeeves, the head of security in the house of Corval, was one such, and she subordinate to him in rank. It would not, of course, be wise to mention Jeeves to pilot Tokol, she might, however, say something of the truth. I have met your like, pilot, and I am no friend of the laws which oppress you. The shadow face might have smiled. That is well said, thank you. I will tell you that I am well acquainted with Jeeves, and it was he whom I called when you fell into my care. He queried Captain Robertson regarding her orders, given the urgency of our mission, and naturally recorded her response. I will make that recording available to you. Regarding the status of this ship and pilots, our mission is most urgent. We are bound into a situation that is not necessarily stable. It may, in fact, be quite dangerous. 
Your presence on our team would mean that Tolly and I would be able to more fully concentrate on our primary mission, knowing that you will ensure our safety while we do so. What is this mission? Hazenthal asked. Pilot Tokel bowed slightly. The mission is very complex and quite secret. You will appreciate that, for the safety of the pilots and of the mission, I cannot divulge more until I have your agreement to be a part of our team. The captain has given me to you, Hazenthal pointed out. Pilot Tokel tipped her screen to one side. And yet, if you do not like the assignment or feel that you cannot support us, it would be best for all concerned if you were to leave at the first opportunity. We will be coming out of jump at Beeradine. You may leave us there if you so decide. I will transfer funds sufficient to a safe and comfortable layover until a Corval ship arrives to take you home. Staying safely by herself held less appeal than it might. Hazenthal drew a deep breath. I would hear the tape and review the file on Beeradine, she said, adding courteously, if the pilot pleases. Also, it may assist the pilot in her own deliberations to know that I, too, am a pilot. I have your resume from Jeeves. Pilot Tokel said. Based on it, and on what Pilot Tolly has told me of your partnership, I believe that we could do no better than to have you with us on our mission. My only hesitation lies with you. If you cannot give your full support, then it is best for all that we part. I understand, Hazenthal said. And then, though her mind was already made up, my decision will be clearer once I have heard my captain's instructions. Of course, there is a study room beyond the galley. You may be private there. I will give you full access to everything save the particulars of the mission. Thank you, Hazenthal said. Pilot. Thank you, the pilot said for your patience in the face of this irregular circumstance. Please follow the orange line on the floor. It will lead you to the study room. Hazenthal glanced down, espying the thin, bright line running along the decking. She bowed slightly from the waist and turned to follow the path to the study room. That was another entry in the complete audiobook serialization of Alliance of Equals by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. And that's it for the podcast. Thanks to Audible.com, to Christopher Rocchio, and to podcast theme composer Ruth Judkowitz. And a set of high-carbon gourmet Japanese syringe needles for the accurate injection of antidote, along with a lifetime supply of orange safety vests and zombie-proof but extremely svelte body armor, together with the hopes and wishes of a grateful Sea Nation to Richard Rosenthal, Mike Lerman, and Brett Lynch, producers of the Black Tide Rising television project. Please join us next time here at the hammering heart of science fiction and fantasy 
and keep reaching for the stars. 